Hey guys, welcome back to Tennis 360, the podcast where we talk about all things tennis. My name is Anthony Hirsch. And I'm Eliza Westgate. And we just had the conclusion of the 2024 Australian Open. Yannick Sinner and Arena Sabalenka are our champions in this tournament. They get it done. Yannick Sinner comes back from two sets to love down against Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev faces his second heartbreak um, in the in the final of the Australian Open in three years. And uh, which is frustrating, and Arena Sabalenka two sets over Zhang. So uh, I think we can start from the men's final. And uh, what were your thoughts on the chaos? And um, and uh, what did you think of Sinner's first major final? And did you think that he really stepped up to uh, to the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think before the tournament, I would have said that him winning the Australian Open maybe was a little bit premature. But I think in hindsight, we look back at his performance over the last five to six months and I think we can really um, begin to see a pattern emerging that would you know show evidence that he really has been the top player on the tour especially from sort of September October onwards of last year was really starting to display a level that we hadn't yet seen from him and I guess my question marks originally was like does he still have that is he able to do that on a grand slam stage in best of five and is can he be consistent in that way and he has he has proven that he can be. He had such an impressive win over Novak Djokovic. I mean, I felt like that semifinal was so comprehensive in a way that took me by surprise, especially given their last um, couple of matches. I obviously know he had it in him to beat him, but uh, he was just so on it in every way. I thought that semifinal was probably the, the turning point for Yannick's mentality and that self-belief that, he could win that final, even being in a situation when he was two sets to love down. And he also did himself such huge favors by getting to the final by only dropping one set on his way there. And I think ultimately that is probably one of the biggest factors that, you know, impacted the outcome of the result in the end. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think, a lot of the attention is on the final, but I think that semifinal was definitely a key because it was Djokovic's first loss since 2018. It was the big moment. Djokovic, in fact, never lost in his whole career in the semifinal and final stage Australian Open. He was 10 and 0 from that point on in terms yeah. of winning the title from the semifinal. And um, all around, I mean, the first two sets, 6 1, 6 2, despite what you think of Novak's level. Novak just won three out of the four majors last year. The fact that he could beat him 6-1, 6-2 is crazy to me. And I think yeah. that we need to kind of uh, respect the kind of things that Yannick is doing against Djokovic, which is he didn't face a single break point in that semifinal match, which yeah. had not happened in Djokovic's entire career at a major, which is just so strange and ridiculous. Um, so to me, it's like, uh, to, me, to me, it's a thing of center is the young guy who it, to me the most has shown up against Djokovic and been like, I can beat you at the biggest stage. I can do things that nobody else is doing coming back from three consecutive match points down, beating him in the big moments and in Australia. And I guess the question marks are on Novak losing to his two consecutive majors that is two best majors. But I think that, uh, I think Novak will be back. I think it was good for tennis, honestly, that we got it, got it somebody else in the mix, I think to, for that kind of, unpredictability factor because we were watching center in this early match as we were like can he really go all the way Djokovic is still in the draw but it doesn't mm -hmm. matter for center Djokovic is in the draw or not that was a big match and then yeah that semi that semi-final match I mean 
in the first two sets, uh, Sinner was completely off his game. I mean, it, Medvedev was just net rushing. He was playing aggressive. He was not how he usually is, just an extraordinary level from Medvedev. And uh, Sinner was hitting lots of errors. I recall in the second set, he had just nine winners to 14 errors. Uh, that would change in the last few sets where he hit uh, in the first two sets, he had a combined total of 22 errors to just, uh, I think it was like 30 errors to like 20 winners. In the last two sets, 37 winners, like 15 errors. I mean, the, it was completely different story in the last three sets. I felt like in the first two sets, he was the one being pushed back by Danielle, who was really moving forward inside of the court. And it was Yannick who uh, was fi uh, finding himself out of position. And uh, it was really good to see that Yannick was able to turn it around. Danielle ran out of legs, uh, the longest run of for a man ever in major history. So uh, shout out to Danielle. What a heartbreaker once again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's normal for Sinner to come out into his first slam and maybe not be 100% on it in the first set. But I actually think most of the credit there does go to Danielle by coming in with a game plan that Sinner probably didn't anticipate him coming in so aggressively um, and net rushing in the way that he was and being able to execute in that way. And I think if we look at Medvedev's performances in general in this slam run, I think what's impressed me so much about him is his ability to play different, you know, tactics and different styles of tennis, even though he's one of those people who were so used to associating with one style. We saw in this tournament that he was willing to mix up his return position uh, coming into the net more. He said he worked a lot more on his on his volleying and um, not just taking a second serve and kind of getting the point started for neutral, but actually attacking. And I think that's what he did so well against Senna was really not letting him get any freebies off of the second serve in those first two sets and I, I think it was almost like if you compare it to a boxing analogy Sinner took one on the chin and was yeah. kind of still dazed in the second set trying to figure out what he needed to do and from Medvedev's perspective I know he said he was getting tired um, and that's kind of why the match slipped away from him in the third and the fourth and the fifth but um, I actually I'm curious if that's really the case because it feels like in the third he started to revert back to the usual Medvedev tactics that we're used to seeing, which is the longer baseline rallies, which is, you know, getting into these sort of longer points. And it's like if your legs are gone from you, I would have thought you would continue with this sort of kamikaze tactic of like, I'm just going to go big on everything. And I wonder if there was a little bit of sort of remnants of scar tissue from the, the previous final that he lost uh, from two sets to love up against Nadal, if that kind of starts to creep in at any point, if he's not able to execute this sort of, um, you know, all out attack type of strategy from a mental um, perspective, because he's so exhausted, I think that can also be a factor too. It's like, you're just so mentally tired. Sometimes it's hard to continue to do differently than what you're used to. And in the end, I also think Sinner made the appropriate adjustments to bother Daniel um, by adding a little bit more shape, adding a little bit more variety from the baseline and not giving uh, Medvedev so many kind of consistent hard rally balls, which we know Medi deals well with. So, you know, I think it's particularly heartbreaking because they're two characters that 
a lot of us love and cherish on the tour and are excited about to see, you know, challenge the 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 top dogs. And I think Medvedev, obviously this one will will really hurt, but I sincerely think based off of what we saw from him this tournament, that he will be in and around the Grand Slam finals again, that he's proven he can come back from, you know, deficits and difficult situations. I think we can talk a little bit about his match against Zverev, where he was again able to come back from two sets to love. And so I think he just, um, you know, in, in the next slam, will need to be super focused on taking care of how much court time he has in the lead up and not getting himself into these situations where he is facing deficits. Um, and and part of that may also have been due to the fact that he didn't have too much of a preseason and he kind of admitted in the press conference in his first round match that he was starting to cramp right around when his opponent was starting to cramp yeah. and that was kind of a blessing for him right because he was like oh this was my first match and I was starting to I was starting to feel it my team was freaking out yeah. and so I think that little nugget there is indicative of maybe there's a top one one two percent that he didn't quite have just yet this early on in the season can we continue to see him improve and expect that improvement. I really hope so, because after the final two years ago when he um, lost to Nadal, that was one of his worst seasons afterwards. Um, and so I I really hope we don't see a spiral from Daniil because I think his performances are indicative of having a really good season after this. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, thought, I thought even though he lost, I thought there were a lot of positives to take out from the run. Um, obviously it will be a heartbreaker. There's no real ways about it. Uh, I mean, I'll get to the positives, but just to kind of recap the run that he had, he, uh, lost the first, uh, first set of his event to Altmain, a French guy, uh, in the first round, and then came back from two sets, slowed down against Rusevori at about 3.30 in the morning. Uh, then it was Felix Ojeali-Asim, who he, uh, got a pretty simple match against, but then again, the quarterfinal was a five-setter against Hercotch, uh, two-set low comeback against Verev. Then he plays a tight one against Sinner in five sets. So, I mean, he had a crazy tournament. I saw that uh, he has the third most match time of any player that's played so far this year. And all of the other eight players around him have all played two tournaments. Right. Exactly. So, so yeah. that kind of uh, defines this tournament. Uh, against Hercotch, he started playing aggressive right from the first return game. He was right on top of the baseline. It was strategy. He was playing smart. Uh, he was serving while he was rushing the net, especially in the first set and the fifth set and mm -hmm. uh, all the time. And it was working really effectively. Um, and that Hercotch Medvedev match, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but that, yeah, one, was yeah, that one was crazy. And uh, the end of the match was exciting as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I think that he learned a lot about his fighting mentality and being able to figure it out. Because to be honest, if we're talking about purely from a level perspective, Medvedev didn't find his best level throughout this tournament. Okay. I think uh, at any point in this tournament, he didn't find his best level, which is uh, almost a very Daniil Medvedev thing to do to get one set away from winning it anyway, having played over a day on court. But, uh, you know, I think that he found something about his game, which is that he can play more offensively, which I think he'll need to do. Sometimes mm -hmm. Yannick Sinner, he ran out of legs. But like you said, if he had the intensity to keep that going, then uh, maybe he then maybe he would have kept that going. And honestly, I think he should have went for it anyway. I, like you said, I didn't really understand why the defensive strategy worked better than playing aggressive at that point, especially in the third set right. when he had a bit more energy. He should have kind of taken it. 
especially yeah. knowing that he didn't uh, put away the chance against Rafa a couple of years ago. But yeah. I think that uh, I think that Daniel has a lot to learn from this run, and mm-hmm. um, he'll uh, y- you know he's struggling from head to head standpoint against a lot of the guys like Sinner, like like Djokovic, like a lot of these guys, and um, like Alcaraz. And uh, Djokovic isn't the most aggressive player around, but he can play aggressive when he needs to. And what Medvedev right. needs to do is to to find a way to be aggressive himself and take that. Because that's how he used to play when he started off. He had that in his back pocket. And then he decided to move back and try this out. And this started working. Um, right. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to see him try the volleys. I think he has the skills to figure out other parts of his game. He'll definitely need that to keep going. He's already had six major finals. It was a great run, but I mean, just heartbreaking. I, I hope he learns from this because I hope he gets another hardcore major in his bag. Yeah, I think he will based on the way he's playing. I mean, you took Alcaraz out at the US Open last year. He can beat these guys. And I think he has made positive improvements. And as I said, you know, demonstrated his willingness to start to weave that in. And I think we can't always expect a player to, you know, make a change and instantly be able to follow that through at all times. And I think we can agree, like with Sinner's career, why we we maybe are not surprised that he's in the position that he's in now where he's contending for Grand Slam titles is because he's he's been so willing to commit to the improvement process and sort of go with this like one step forward, two step back type of approach over the last two years that have now culminated in him winning a slam and having a very complete package. Of course, there's ways we can always improve as players, but, you know, it took him a couple of years to to kind of get to this point. And I also think over the last eight months in particular with him going from platform to pinpoint serve, you know, it, it wasn't like an instantaneous, okay, US Open slam final. Um, it, it's taken him some time. So I think with Medvedev, where I have the kind of positive assumption is that he's shown the intent more so than he ever has in the past in trying to approach the game a little bit differently and being willing to have a Djokovic type of skill set that allows him to deploy, deploy different tactics against different players. And I think it's just a matter of now being able to execute that across five sets, across uh, a grand slam. You know, if this had been a best of three at a Masters, it would have been a different conversation. So I think the signs are all positive for Medvedev. And I, I agree with you. I, I want to look at it from that light. I also think he... Just his character and how he handled the loss, his his ceremony, his speech, his press conference after the fact. I mean, I think he continues to win over fans. He's endearing. He's sincere. And he's also, um, he's very knowledgeable and like very willing to analyze his game and kind of give those insights more so than other players would in a losing situation after a final. I mean, I think he gave nearly a 20-minute press conference, which is special. And, you know, in terms of being willing to kind of self-analyze I think that's why he is such a good player and is in a in a league maybe even a little bit above Zverev at the moment because he has this sort of intrinsic knowledge of the game analyzes himself and can make adjustments in real time whereas in that Zverev match (laughs) there was a little clip where in the second set I think Zverev said to his dad tell me what to do I don't know what to do and Zverev's dad said go home then. If you if you don't know what to do, then go home. You know, and that's the type of thing of like, I think Zverev looks 
externally when things aren't going his way. Whereas I think Medvedev is looking internally and therefore is able to make improvements, solve problems on his own and come back from these types of deficits because he also has that core belief. And I don't think that Zverev um, necessarily like uh, through that final or gotten or semi-final or got nervous and that's why he didn't win. I think Medvedev was able to solve the puzzle and Zverev wasn't able to then react to that and then ran out of gas. And if you watched his press conference afterwards, his answer was, oh, I was feeling a bit sick. I had a fever. And it, it, it was that in itself that to me was like, yeah, you don't accept personal responsibility and you don't have this sort of internal locus of control that someone like Daniel Medvedev does have. And that's why I have confidence in him winning another major. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I mean, that you look at things like that and that's the, that's the best example of somebody, a comment that makes you believe maybe they're not cut out to win a major. And it's, um, I don't want to throw a player into the mix for no reason, but I would also say a guy like Tsitsipas a few, uh, some months ago saying, um, I would much rather, uh, be number one than win majors. And it's that kind of comment that you're like, yeah, that's not a major winning mentality. You have to win majors to be number one. That's what that's the goal. That's the that's the peak and the mountains. That's the mountaintop of tennis. And uh, right. you you Medvedev has those qualities. And Tsitsipas and Zverev might win majors. I'm especially keen on Steph, but Medvedev needs to. Medvedev is a guy whose mental game, his strategy, his IQ is so good on the court. Yeah. And um, I think that I think that he showed that in this event. I think he showed it when he came back from two sets, slowed down. And I think that he, uh, he was impressive, but uh, to talk about center for a moment, because uh, (laughs) he was the champion of the event and what a tournament he had. And it wasn't an easy draw. It wasn't an easy draw. Um, I'll start from his fourth round. Uh, Karin Achenov was playing great. Uh, And uh, center took him out in three sets. Achenov was. uh, Yeah. And uh, Hatchnoff was, uh, I think, a, a few breaks, uh, break points away at 3-4 to break him uh, and push it to two sets uh, in the second set. And, um, you know, I, I, he really played some great tennis to knock him off. And, uh, and then against, um, and then against who, is, who is the quarterfinal opponent? I'm going on blank. Rublev. And then he was down yeah. 5-1 against Andre with Andre serving up. And center comes back there, and then Djokovic, and then Medvedev. That is not an easy draw. Rublev, no. then Djokovic, then uh, Medvedev. Uh, not everybody gets three top five opponents. He only lost one set. In that set, he had match point up on Djokovic. I mean, center was impressive, as impressive comes throughout this tournament. Just hitting big, uh, showing all the shots, showing all the stops. The serve was impeccable. That is not yeah. something that I think you or I would have said nine months ago, I don't think. I mean, no. Yannick has improved in every facet he possibly could this is a guy who this is a guy who 12 months ago the last thing you would say about the, him is that he's complete you would say he needs to improve the volleys have you seen him play doubles you say he needs to improve the physicality have you seen him in this match and this match and this match even against Zverev at the u.s open this is a guy who said you know what i'm gonna put my yeah. head down i don't care about all the things i need to figure out all the struggles i do have look at like me hitting this big forehand and he figured it out and uh he got that big forehand on match point he took the match but it was really yeah. the fight all the way through that showed it. Any any player in their first major final going against a Daniel Medvedev who's playing that well 
and who was net rushing and playing so great. Yeah, they would have been scared out of their minds. They would have been yeah. scared off. It was 4-4 and deuce. It was 3-3 and 30-40 down for center. It was a great comeback. It was a qu pretty quick comeback, all things considered, for the last three sets against Medvedev, who's playing tough. Medvedev ran out of legs, but I think everybody can give all the credit for Sinner. I love Medvedev climbing the net and uh, congratulating Sinner and says, hey, you're next You're next up. And uh, that was awesome. One-time uh, champions on hard courts. I, don't th I think that both of them will get another hard court major. And uh, I surely hope so for Danielle. Yannick's got plenty of time. And... Uh, yeah. Uh, we can also uh, talk about the top four in the rankings, which are so close together, by the way. Uh, Djokovic at like 9,800 points. Carlos, uh, just doing this from memory, Carlos at 9,200. Uh, Daniil is at around 8,700. 8, Yannick's at like 8,300. That, yeah. that is very um, – those are very close top four, and rarely do you have a top four that are all over 8,000 points uh, in the yeah. rankings, which is crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I think that the Yannick has a good chance to even get to number two. He's only, he's less than a thousand points behind Carly, uh, Carlos now. And, uh, let's see how he can climb up to, to Charlie who really, Char Carlos just ran ahead in the, at the start of the beginning of his career, but now he's climbed back up. And, um, you know, uh, I think now a lot of people, if you ask them who's going to win more majors, Yannick or Carlos, they're like, eh, slight hesitation now, you know, they didn't have that before. <laughs> yeah. You're like, eh. Yeah. Slight hesitation. So um, let me po poise the question. What do you think of Sinner versus Carlos? Yeah, I mean, obviously they have a really tight head-to-head -head and yeah. have played some really epic matches already. I think, um, you know, they've, they've known each other's game for a long time. So they're able to bring something different to the court when they play each other versus other opponents. I do think Sinner has a key that can unlock Alcaraz's game in a way that maybe other opponents can't unlock his game. Um, I think in particular with the forehand, it, it it answers a lot of questions from the Alcaraz end that would usually not be answered. Yeah. And I think it's hard at this stage to have a um, realistic conversation about Grand Slam halls by the end of um, their careers. But what I can say is that I would not be surprised if Sinner finished above Alcaraz this year. I think Alcaraz has a monumental task in defending the Wimbledon title. I think that that is going to be challenging. And I, I think that for once, at this point of the year, us as tennis fans about the men's game can be super excited about the fact that things are starting to open up again and we're talking about other folks having an opportunity and having a chance. And just because Djokovic didn't win this tournament, I don't think he's now all of a sudden too old and not going <laughs> to win any majors anymore and all of that stuff. I don't think he played his best tournament. I don't think he showed his best tennis. Was he 100% healthy? Did he have an injury? We don't really know. Um, but Djokovic is Djokovic, and I do believe he will continue to problem solve and be a problem in the slams for the rest of this year. But I do think now we're seeing Alcaraz has beaten him at a slam, Medvedev has beaten him at a slam, and Sinner has beaten him at a slam. And so we're finally poised to have some really epic battles. And I could see a situation where Sinner does finish above Carlos this year because I think I, I do think defending that Wimbledon title and those points is going to be challenging. 
Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, I uh, I think that Sinner right now has the lead. Uh, when I enter the Sinner conversation as somebody who has been remarkably high on Yannick Sinner, almost to many doubts for a couple of years, saying that he's a multi-major champion and a future world number one, uh, just based on talent, even if it was ridiculous comments to make a couple of years ago, I uh, I would say... Carlos and Novak are not done. They're right at the top still. Yeah. And um, I think that's the important distinction to make, to be honest. But um, here's what I will say. Um, the walls aren't completely down. We're not in a new era, in my opinion, just quite yet. Because uh, Novak just has still won four of the last six biggest events. The facts are just what the facts are. Um, but I, I will say that... Uh, We've broken a hole in the wall to peek into what the next era is like with Sinner and Medvedev in the final with the kind of the first, this is the first uh, final played outside of the U S open to not feature a big three uh, uh, to not feature uh, Murray, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic since 2005 Australian open uh, since Safin beat Hewitt. It is two guys, world number one guys, young, uh, fantastic talents who are going to be at the top for quite a few more years. And uh, they're playing the final. Djokovic was, uh, I think he was pretty healthy in this event. I don't think it was like some other majors where you could point to the health, like maybe Rafa at the U.S. Open 2022, when Rude and Carlos reached the final. I think Novak was there for the hunt. He didn't play his best event, and uh, Yannick took him out. And I think that you just have to look at it for what it is and uh, see that Yannick kind of earned the victory. And I think that he... Uh, earned the final, and uh, it's very exciting for Yannick to, um, I don't know if leading the next generation, what I'll say is it's very exciting for Yannick and Carlos leading the next generation from their Wimbledon victories, their Australian Open victories. And despite them having different journeys to the top uh, with with Carlos Alcaraz, probably a bit of a more rush to the top, becoming the youngest world number one ever, and Yannick uh, taking a little bit more time, trying to add more tools. Now Carlos has kind of too many tools to work with, has to kind of figure it out. His shot selection, his physical side, and uh, just, uh, you know, figure everything out from getting to the top so early and having all that pressure on him. Yannick's mm-hmm. had no pressure. He's just been like, hey, I'm just cruising. Nobody's paying attention to me. They're complaining about my physicality and my serve. You know what? I'm going to figure this out, and I'm going to be better than all of them. And that's what we've seen on <laughs> full, full in front of us. And we need to – We it's a good lesson, if anything else, uh, to – I think that – player at a very young age can deal with lots of struggles when there's such a high level athlete and talent like Yannick Sinner, you don't count them out, especially when they have the head on the shoulders that Yannick Sinner has. I'm thankful that I didn't have to watch another Altmaier French open moment that we could watch a uh, more, more of a, more of a moment like this at a major where, uh, you know, the, uh, the mental game has improved in spades for Yannick. Yeah. And also um, last little bit on that is, he has a fantastic coach in his corner who's now coached four Grand Slam champions over multiple different generations, including men and women, right? So he, I think, has somebody in his camp who's ultra-intelligent, has a fantastic tennis IQ, understands the value of taking your time, you know, learning, like laying the foundations and the groundwork, because I think you bring up a good point in Alcaraz obviously had this very meteoric rise it was very quick but we said last season that there's been moments where some of his shot selection some of his decision making has been 
you know, not questionable, but like at, at moments could have improved. I think we've also talked about his ability to manage his like energy levels and pace himself throughout the season has been raised question marks. And he himself said towards the end of last year, I need to figure out what to do towards the back half of the season because I get exhausted. And I think Sinner has given himself a game that is easily repeatable. It's manageable for his, um, to last a whole season. I think he has a more sustainable style of play. And I think in the long run, that will suit him very well. And I do think, you know, the, the age gap is maybe 18 months, two years um, age gap, somewhere around that. Mm, yeah, I do think at like that, that age, it does make a difference in terms of maturity, in terms of, you know, the learning process. So I do think Alcaraz will make adjustments. He will learn. He will add things to his repertoire. But now might be the time where we talk about Alcaraz needing to take a step back to take two steps forward. Maybe that's yeah. that's kind of a situation that he's in where Sin has done that prior to getting his slam. So everybody has a yes. different trajectory and a different means for, you know, getting their slams under their belt. And I think both of them are, you know, in a really good position to to lead, you know, the younger generation <laughs> into the fold as mature athletes. And as we see the Djokovic era begin to sunset, not that that's going to happen this year, but, you know, inevitably father time will catch up. And so who's really going to be standing in line next? It's obviously hard to know because there's other names in the mix too, like Aruna, who, who we also have been expecting to kind of make it at some point. But I think these two have really now separated themselves from the rest of the pack in terms of next gen. And I, I, I do believe that we will see both of them win multiple majors across their career. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I, uh, I'm i excited for the next era. I think their rivalry is amazing. And uh, yeah. people are talking about a possible center across final. Carlos can complete the end, but uh, we'll be waiting. We'll be waiting. We'll be waiting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, and then uh, Arena Sabalenka is a two-time major champion, no longer the one yeah. major. She, uh, mm-hmm. she joins a long list of multiple major champions on the women's side, but not a single player outside of Venus Williams has more than three or four. So we'll see how many, how much Sablin can climb up. Sixth consecutive major semifinal. She reaches her third consecutive major f- final on hard court. She gets her second major over uh, Kim Wen Jung, who uh, had a fantastic run as well, even though she didn't beat a single top 50 player in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, you know, She's a talented player, and uh, it's probably a little bit too early for for where she's at because the serve yeah. can use a lot of improvements. The shot selection, in my opinion, she's not quite there, but she had to play the players ahead in front of her, and she's a fantastic player. She plays against Sablin because she didn't really have much for her. Her serve, I thought, was not really there. She made about 53% of her first serves in. Sablinka was absolutely pummeling the second serve. So mm-hmm. it was a bit of a... It, it, it was it was a bit of a matchup that felt a little bit lopsided, but because of how well and how mentally solid Sablinka is now in these moments in the semifinal and finals, and uh, very excited about Arena's win here, um, t- uh, getting the win over over Zhang, and uh, she also had a fantastic win in the semifinals against Coco Goff, and uh, that yeah. was a great match. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, uh, what did what'd you think of the Sabalinka final? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think Sabalenka just played lights out tennis this entire tournament. I think she started the year really well as well. Obviously, she had the loss to Rabakina, but other than that, her level has looked so high, so good. Um, I think, again, like we, we continue this conversation of a player that's so willing to improve, put in hard work, you know, and, and year on year, we see that evolution and the maturity of Sabalenka grow. And I think that, you know, maybe a similar kind of storyline between Sriantec and Sabalenka, where Sriantec's had success quick early on and now is having to kind of adjust and react to that, whereas Sabalenka's kind of been in the chasing position now for a little while. I think her losing that U.S. Open final against Coco reignited the fire, but also reignited the belief of, like, you know, I can be in these finals. I am good enough, especially on hard court, to, to be a major, multiple major champion. I think she just, her weapons on both sides, her backhand looks so strong. Um, her, hit, her average hitting speed was like 80 miles an hour at some point during this tournament. I mean, it's up there with the fastest of the men. I think she was willing to show at times coming into the net. I mean, we saw her do that against Goff. She was, she even, she missed a lot of volleys early on, but she just committed to the tactic, kept coming in. And, yeah. and, you know, was willing to adjust and do something different from the previous match and not get into these types of defensive rallies with Coco. And she totally took advantage of, you know, not, not being in a U.S. Open crowd type of situation and just staying totally focused on her tennis. And I think that when Sabalenka is tunnel vision and focused, it is really, really hard to beat her. And I think... Um, she just seems to be really happy too. Like she's in a good mental headspace. I think we've all seen some really nice videos of her and her team throughout this tournament, looking like they're really enjoying themselves and having a good time. I think at, in moments, you know, when we watch Sviantec, she looks so stressed and, and almost like not happy with the responsibility of being world number one at times. She's grown into it, but I think that Sabalenka um, over the last year has, has showed that she's in a positive mental place. Um, obviously, you know, a couple of years ago, lost her dad. So I think that probably took its toll for a period of time that, you know, some of us didn't take into consideration at, at the exact moment that that happened. But I mean, Zhang played a good, good enough final, but I think Sabalenka was just, you know, a cut above her, was experienced in this situation. I, and I agree with you that I think Zhang got here a little bit ahead of schedule. I, I do believe she she will get back into a slam final at some point. I think she has the weapons too. Yes, the serve can improve, but I mean, she's still a top server on the women's tour in terms of aces, in terms of speed and power that she gets on it. Um, I think at times she showed good variety with the drop shot. She showed good kind of court awareness and positioning, and she showed some really strong athletic ability. I just don't think it was enough on the day and, and wasn't well executed enough to beat to beat Sabalenka and and you know when you come into a slam final if you haven't beaten a top 50 player on the way there sometimes it's hard to kind of uh conjure up that mojo and that self-belief of like yeah, I'm really meant to be here and I'm really you know a, a contender for this title I think sometimes that can kind of leave you with a little bit of a lack of confidence because you know yeah. you haven't gotten a big win under your belt on the way there um but uh she's She's a great hope for Chinese tennis. I think she's top 10 now. She's um, And she's going to be in and around the mix. I mean, she's so young. So I, I, I do think she'll be back.
Yeah, yeah, number seven in the world now, which is a pretty big jump for for Zhang. And um, yeah. yeah, I'm excited for her. I mean, she only just turned 21. Um, yeah. I mean, she's no Mira Andreva at this point, but she's been around since, I mean, she's been 15, 16, 17. I mean, she's been climbing up. People have known about the talent that she does bring to the to the tour. Um, yeah, I, I, felt, I felt the same. I mean, I just think that Sabalenka's uh was hitting the forehand so huge that it was just too much for Zhang, who who honestly was hitting a lot of unforced errors but i was glad that she came out and played her game i felt like even though she didn't uh wasn't able to pair up against the sabalinka i felt like she still showed the potential of why she will maybe be right. there when in about three four or five years when yeah. she can get i think more reliable serving uh and also when she can pair up on forehand forehand has that experience of playing a top player who hits that big in a big moment because yeah also Jung can like she can overpower you know she can overpower maybe a Svitolina on her best day and have a great win but against Sabalenka it's the ball so hard to be able to dictate off of Sabalenka is even that much harder so, yeah that's why I'm also a little bit like I guess uh reserved with the unforced error count because I do think it's it's all of a sudden overwhelming to hit against Sabalenka. Oh, like yeah. nobody else hits at that pace right. and can generate that pace off of a slow ball. I think that's the other thing. And she's so committed to that on every single shot. It's just like, whew, you're taken aback by it. And yes, it counted yeah. as an unforced error and you were there to hit it, but it's, you know, again, you're coming through a drawer. You haven't beaten a top 50 player. No one's even hitting within 10 miles an hour of that level of forehand. And yeah. point in, point out, and all of a sudden you're asked to do that in a Grand Slam final. I just think it overwhelmed her entirely. Yeah, I I agree. I uh, well, <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever possibly compare Medvedev to Sabalenka, but it's like Medvedev in the men's final trying to overpower center. Yeah. It's like, Sam, what are you doing? This isn't how you play. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. isn't how you play, and you're doing it so effectively. Like, get center is like, get out of my face with that. On the women's side, it's like it's like that, and yeah, Sabalenka usually plays like that. But it was it was, uh, you know, her her backhand. I agree was so good. It was so good in the golf match as well. Yeah. Um. I remember it got her out of a few sticky situations as well in the three four and four four games where mm -hmm. uh you know she had a few backhand winners, a great backhand winner cross court. Um. You know, Zhang and Sabalenka. Zhang is a great athlete. Sabalenka is a great athlete. I thought the final was really good for the way the top half kind of came apart a little bit. I thought that Zhang at least, you know, even if she didn't bring it as much the final, I thought that she had the the level overall to really uh, show that she, she will be here in the future. And uh, yeah. she has the potential that is so exciting anyway. And I like that Zhang, she was still like fist bumping and doing come on. Yeah. I mean, she was doing her proper job of it. It was, uh, it was just, I felt bad for her because she didn't have anything for Sabalenka in that moment. That, that was, yeah, that was you know, and it'll be a learning experience for her. And I firmly believe, you know, when a draw falls apart, it's somebody's opportunity to take it with both hands and and take advantage of that situation. And she did. She was the highest seed left and she got herself to the final. And I think that's what's, you know, um, really important to recognize as well that a lot of players in that situation see a pass to the final and screw it up. Um, and she, and she didn't. She got she got her way there. She deserved it. And as you say, she came out and she came out with good intention and, you know, and, and played not lights out tennis by any means, but she played within herself as as well as you could kind of ask her to do in that situation. Of course, we would want to see a more competitive match, but um, yeah, the experience factor of, of Sabalenka was was also 
there. And uh, kind of my last piece on Sabalenka is that I really, I really think her backhand is so underrated on tour. Um, you know, everybody thinks about her power forehand, but I actually would 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 argue at times that her backhand is more consistent, more reliable. It gets a little bit more um, angle to it at times, and she just moves so well to it as well. I really think her backhand is such a weapon. And uh, yeah, it just came up clutch in so many moments in this tournament. And it, and I wanted to give that a little accent to, to finish that. No, I mean, it's good. Next time I come up against that, like I'll hit to the forehand rather than the back. I think it's good. <laughs> I think you're screwed either way. Yeah, I know. That's right. I choose. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, the women's event was insane. I, I thought the whole draw, yeah. the way that it kind of happened, it started with the kind of Rabakna and Shriantek upsets at the start, and then the way the top half kind of evaporated. It was crazy in the fourth round, the way it kind of happened. Um, uh, just yeah. to, like, mention what the fourth round was real quick before we kind of uh, go even to what the semi like the semifinal was. The fourth round, one of either Linda Noskova, Svitolina, Osrenka, Yamstremska, Pauline, Kaunskaya, Zhang, and Dodin, one of those players, uh, all respect to those players, one of them was going to reach a major final. And then you had Svitolina and Ozarenka, Lucia, Stromska, and Noskova. So the draw just completely kind of evaporated at the seams. But, you know, Yamstromska, she was confident throughout the whole thing. She played a great ball. I mean, she won eight matches in her run. Four of those came in three sets. Um, you know, she was hitting the big. It was a little bit all or nothing. But listen, uh, yeah. this time it came out as all. So, I mean, it worked out well for her. And I think that... Um, you know, it was completely different from the Emma Raducanu run. Well, first of all, Emma Raducanu reached the final and then the, uh, then won the major, uh, no qualifier had even reached the final before, but Yamstremska to get to the semifinal playing Von Drusva in the first round, then a former champion, Ozarenka, and, uh, to play so many close matches. I thought it was really impressive. Her mentality really impressed me. I think we'll see more of her still as she's risen up. Yeah. I think the women's game again, is really well poised to have a very interesting season. I think, you know, we have our kind of top contenders, our top names in Sabalenka, Goff, Sriantec, and Rabakina. But that doesn't mean that those guys can't lose. And I think that, again, is what's exciting about women's tennis is this unpredictability of, of the kind of dominant top players. Obviously, Jabor lost early too in a, in a very uh, definitive fashion. And... Um, yeah, we've got major champion in Von Drusova, who I don't know what her level is going to look like this year. And then you've got other names knocking on the door, like Svitolina, who looks like she, you know, is going to get herself inside the top 10 if she continues the level she's been at. Her fingers crossed her back injury isn't isn't bad. But um, yeah, I mean, the women's game is so poised to have a, a fantastic season with, with question marks about who's going to win each major. And I'm super excited really actually for the clay season for the women's, which sounds strange for me to say, because I really don't love the clay season. But I think last year we had such fun with like Sriantec, Rabakina and Sabalenka all winning titles on the clay before getting to Roland Garros. And yeah. obviously Rabakina was ill, but Sabalenka had much point to get into the final. And we don't know when Mukova is coming back. Right. And so I really think that's going to be a fun part of the season for us running into Roland Garros. But obviously Sunshine Double is going to be fantastic too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked that the women's game has, you know, two, two players at the top with multiple majors and then two women right behind them with one major apiece. And, uh, yeah, I think we're set for a really exciting season. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, 
Yeah, well, I think uh, the questions are on Iga, uh, but, you know, I think she's always going to show up to the clan. I think she's going to have something to prove probably in Madrid and Rome. She's like, these are my tournaments. These are yeah. my tournaments. Get off the clay. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and then uh, I think uh, real quick, uh, we didn't go that much over the Sabalenka versus Goff. We went a little bit over if you want to finish off on that one, because that was I think it played out almost like a final. Sabalenka yeah. uh, really had so many motivations to beat Coco um, yeah. after Coco beat her in a, in a three-set match at the U.S. Open. Sabalenka really never brought her best level at that match, and it was way better here. I mean, six breaks traded in the first set, and uh, just what a win for Sabalenka, and then to go on to beat Jung to defend her title as well. I felt like Coco on the forehand to forehand was completely overpowered. I thought Coco showed a good level throughout that match, but, you know, Coco... Uh, a lot of the forehand placements were a lot to Sabalenka's uh, liking. Uh, Coco hit, I believe, about 32 forehands down the center of the court, 35 anywhere else on the court. And uh, Sabalenka hit uh, 31 of her forehands cross-court back to the forehand and just 11 down the middle. So that's a good example to show about court placement, being able to control the forehands, even when the forehand rallies are coming like ping-pong. And uh, where it's they're going so fast back and forth, and it's a really good stat to show that Sabalenka at this moment is able to control that forehand that much better, even when her forehand is hitting so big uh, through the court, which is, um, I mean, in some ways it can help, but in other ways it's like uh, the safety of Sabalenka's forehand is so impressive and her backhand as well, like you mentioned. Yeah, I think both players admitted that that semifinal match in a way, was of a higher quality than the final at the US Open. And I think I would agree. I think that the execution on both ends was there more consistently. And in particular with Goff, she played a pretty horrible quarterfinal match against Kostyuk. Um, that was some really ugly tennis. And so I had some big question marks for her going into that semi of like, she cannot play like that again, because she will get bageled if, she's, <laughs> if she plays like that. And she didn't. Yeah. So kudos to her because um, you know, it's not easy to play a bad match like that and come out against the player that you just played a Grand Slam final against, you know, with that level of pressure and to come out and play a good match. I think she pushed Sabalenka in, in, in moments, but I agree with you. I, I think that um, the forehand wasn't able to ask enough questions of Sabalenka to really kind of put her under pressure and make her feel uncomfortable. And this time around, the athleticism and movement of golf just wasn't you know able to dig her out because i also think that sabalenka played a little bit more of a consistent ball like she still hit big shots but she had slightly bigger targets whereas in the second set at the us open i felt like or third set even i felt like she was like i don't know what to do i'm just gonna hit it harder and harder and harder <laughs> and it just yeah. started missing a lot whereas this time around it it was more precise more consistent and executed on the power at the right moments as opposed to just sort of unleashing at all times and so i think that's why it was a higher quality match and um i i do think coco will have answers to that in time again she has got brad gilbert in her camp i think he's a phenomenal coach so i think her game will continue to evolve we forget still that she's uh five years younger than sabalenka so she's she's got a lot of time to improve and learn and um, she'll certainly be winning more majors, in my opinion. I just think that that semifinal was um, a culmination of Sabalenka's best work. And that's why it was such a good match. 
yeah, I agree. I agree that Coco lifted her level, but still wasn't enough for Sabalenka, even though the back end was good. The forehand still needs a little bit of improvements, but everything outside of the forehand is at a top, top level, and even the forehand has improved a little bit. So I'm excited to see Coco still move on from here. But uh, what a run from Sabalenka. Uh, last point, do you, uh, if you were to predict Sabalenka at the moment, do you think, uh, do you think she's going to win a couple more majors over the next couple of years? Yes, I do. I okay. think she got to the semifinal and final of every slam last year. Here she is defending her first Grand Slam title. I think that's hard to do. Not many players have been able to do that. As you said, Venus is probably one of the only active ones left that has defended their maiden major title. Or I think she was able to win like back-to-back first majors. So slightly different stat. Mm-hmm. But I do think people continue to have question marks for Sabalenka <clears throat> coming into this Australian Open of like, ah, she's going to get nervous and she's not going to be able to defend her title. It's too difficult. I had this sort of quiet confidence in me that she she would be able to do that. And that confidence continues to brew because I think that she just has weapons on, you know, both sides of the courts. Her serve is great and there's room for improvement and knowing her mentality and her approach to the game, I think she will continue to add elements like, coming to the net more um that that will continue to make it more and more difficult to beat her so i do think we will see her winning at least a few more major titles what do you think yeah i think uh the big question is the uh hurdles at the semifinal and the finals and if she's completely gone over that i think the australian open was a good sign of it i'd be i'd be more ready to say yes um when i see a run at another major uh Mm -hmm. but i think that she is in uh She's definitely in fantastic position. This tournament, not losing a set, even playing golf in the semis, I think really improved my confidence in her. But I want to see I want to see a run at another major before I say she'll win, say two, three more. But I think that she'll uh I think that she's a player to watch now and she does have big weapons. Uh, I'm interested to see though, I think the women's at the top has great competition. I don't really know what happened with Pagula and Jabor in this tournament, but uh, yeah. you know, um I think that with Osaka coming back with Mira Andreeva, who's an alien at sixteen or whatever she yeah. is, uh, playing as well she <laughs> she does. And then also, you know, Rabakna and Shviantek and you know. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's going to be tough, but yeah, I mean, at this point, it seems very likely she wins at least one more. If that one comes outside of Australian Open, I'll be happy to say that I think she'll win a couple more after that as well. Yeah, um, I'm glad you picked up on Osaka too, because I, I would really like to see that matchup when Osaka starts, you know, regaining her best level. Hopefully she does, um, because I think that will be an ultimate showcase of women's power tennis and would be so good for the women's game. Um, so I'm really hopeful we'll see that in the future too. I agree. I hope so. Um, because Osaka was a big miss to the tour. Uh, I'd also love to see Wozniacki and Kerber do something who are uh, yeah. much much older, but I would love to see I that. I think it well. will be harder for them, to be honest with you, because I think yeah, their movement is still so good, and I, I think they'll be able to push a certain type of player, but when it comes to beating these top four names that are in and around the mix, I, I do think they're going to they're gonna struggle uh, because they have found ways to unlock the tactics and skills needed to beat the movement of a Kerber or Wozniacki and, and the power is just so extreme coming from a Sabalenka racket. I just, I, I don't see them uh, having quite the same impact, but obviously still happy to see him back. 
Yeah, well, I agree. Um, okay, a little bit of a sad I agree, but I agree. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so for the uh, weekly power rankings, this is the power rankings that follows the Australian Open event. Um, we both have Yannick Sinner now at the number one spot. Djokovic is not at number one. He drops back to three in both of our lists. Medvedev is at number two. Uh, actually, we have the same top four. And then uh, I just switched Hercatch. Uh, Hercatch at number five. You have Hercatch at six. You have Alcaraz at number five. And then I have Fritz there at number six because I thought he played a really good match against Djokovic, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that, uh, you know, he lost in four sets, but, uh, you know, uh, I think maybe J J uh, Sinner would like to have a small thanks to Dino Prismich, Popperin, you know, and Fritz for pushing Djokovic to four hours in their matches, yeah. you know, uh, before uh, before that semifinal. Uh, because Fritz really tested Djokovic. First time in Djokovic's uh, entire career, actually, that he went zero for 15 on breakpoint chances. So that was a big stat for Fritz, and he uh, Fritz really moved up to save him. So I want to shout out Fritz. Uh, Alcaraz is going to be back, but at the moment, this is power rankings, which means the players who are doing best at the moment. So he's dropped down. Then I have Rublev, then I have Demonor, and then I have Hatchinov. All right, give me your list, because I think it's pretty yeah, similar, though. it is pretty similar. Look, I think um, Alcaraz, I... He didn't play his best match against Varev. Um, some questionable kind of decision-making didn't get going totally uh, in that match. I do think it's his first tournament of the season. I, I think we will continue to see him as a contender. Hercatch played a great quarter against Medvedev. I, I think that Hercatch in best of five is just a, a little bit... Um, weak in moments maybe m mentally uh just sort of handing the experience to to Medvedev in that match there but really pushed him the whole way so don't really have much negative to say about him uh Rublev I I also thought you know played a good tournament showed some good resilience I, I'd agree with you I thought Fritz had a good performance against Djokovic and showed that you know he he um was willing to adjust and have a better performance against someone that's beaten him eight times in a row and wasn't intimidated by that and played played some of his best tennis. I also think just in general in this tournament played some of his best tennis. So I it was just the movement of my other guys that that pushed him down one. Yeah. But I, yeah I, think, I, I think it was like the, the top eight are all very strong there. It's yeah. not you're not gonna <laughs> look at any of them and be like that one's weaker or that one doesn't deserve to be in the top like right. It's it's like Rublev was strong. He had a good performance against demon and then center was just center and then you know so i understand yeah yeah and uh i i, I probably should have demonor in my in my top 10 i guess sits the pass um i wasn't discouraged by his level at this tournament i think i said the same last week you know i i, I thought he showed glimpses of of a high level again and I'm hopeful that he's gonna have a better season i'm not his biggest fan so that's unusual for me to say i'm hopeful but <laughs> <laughs> I think that yeah. um, he he's in and around the mix. And when I think about, yeah, maybe next week, if we want to say next week, Diminor is probably the better pick. If I'm looking at it with a slightly wider lens, then I would think Tsipas is going to work his way back into into the mix. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought I thought the stuff one was weird just because he lost, uh, I think, in the third round, but showing a better level. I probably wouldn't include him in top 10 just because I did like Demon and Kareen so much, but... Uh, in this tournament, but yeah, I mean, Steph is going to find it again. I mean, he's a perennial top 10 player. He even managed to hang on to the top 10 this week. He was so close to dropping out. Uh, I think, 
can't remember who it was, uh, but uh, somebody was close to dropping Steph out. And if he fell out, then that would be the first time since early 2019. So he's going to be around for a while uh, still. Um, and then on the women's side, Sabalenka, Goff, uh, stay the same for me. You had Jung got three. I had Jung got four for Noskova, who I was just really enjoying before the kind of quarterfinals. But uh, Zhang moves up, and then also uh, number six, I have Svitolina. I put this, I put Svitolina mm-hmm. in there for the power rankings because uh, she retired in her match against Linda Noskova, but she was playing very good tennis. Reached the final of Auckland as well, lost to Goff, but she's playing great kind of great tennis against Coco. Then I have Konskaya, Kostyuk. Then I have Krajikova, kind of the quarter finalist of the Australian Open. And then I have Iga there at number 10 because I would be, it would be a darn shame to not have Iga in there, especially after a win against Collins. Um, what yeah. did you? Yeah, uh, look, I honestly struggled with the WTA power rankings because this tournament was so topsy turvy and seeing names that we're not used to seeing progress so far into the, into the tournament. And so <laughs> I don't yeah. know how, you know, realistically, how many of these players are going to follow that up with a great run over the next two weeks. One name that I do feel pretty confident in is Noskova. I do think she's going to be in and around the mix this year. Um, I do think that Krejcikova is always in and around the mix when it comes to, you know, getting, getting a couple titles each season. Um, She had a good run in the Middle East last year. I think she beat Sriantec in the final. So, um, you know, I think, I think she's a name that, we continue to kind of see slide around in this power ranking space. Yeah. Um, I had Switzerlina in my power rankings last week, but I'm not sure with her back injury um, how, if she's really going to be playing over the next couple of weeks. I, I would suppose that she might take some rest. Um, so that's why I threw Shriantek and Rabakina back in the mix. I mean, I thought Rabakina showed a great level coming into the, into the Australian Open and beat Sabalenka in the final. Um of a where, where was it in Brisbane? Brisbane, um, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, Anna Blinkover is a good player and was do a big win, and um, you know, you know, so, so such tight circumstances. I do think we'll see Rebecca now continue to play well over the next couple of weeks and, and similar thoughts about Sriantec. Do you think if Rabaka had converted one of her six or seven match points, we would have had a completely different Australian Open in that uh, blink of a match? I do think it. it it could have looked quite different. Um, it's all what ifs. Yeah. It's what yeah. if, but I do think Blinkova, a lot of people might not have known her name, which is understandable, but she is a very good player and she's just not been in and around the mix because of um, injuries. But I think that she, again, as I said, was do a big win and it just came against um, Rebecca Nerida, you know, at this time. Yeah. But I, I don't think that that loss in itself is indicative of, Rebecca and not having good performance over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, there's the power ranking, Sabalink and Center at number one. Uh, do you want to get into the upcoming, which is kind of the upcoming tournaments and all of that? Yes. Uh, section. Yes. So on the WTA side, we have a 500 event going on right now in Linz. Uh, big names that are in the mix there are Ostapenko, Martin, Vekic, Alexandrova. Um, Alexandrova needs to get her season rolling. She's she's had a couple unfortunate losses also towards the end of last year, had a couple of losses that were like raising raising eyebrows when we really thought she was a name that was going to start pushing into the top 10 consistently and, and kind of be a contender at at least 500 tournaments and, and master tournaments as well. So she's really going to be looking to get 
get her way back into some form. But there's some other good names in, in that mix in that Lynx tournament as well. Camilla Georgie lost. So she she uh, was also in. Then we have Katie Bolter, Jodie Burridge. So some other kind of good names that are playing there. And then we also have a 250 tournament in Thailand where Bedosa is trying to get some match time under her belt. So is Tom Lejanovic, but she already lost. She got bageled in the seconds. So that's an unfortunate start for her. <laughs> the top seed there is Lynette, who um, retired, I think, at the Australian Open with an injury. So she wasn't, again, she might be trying to play herself into some form. And then we've got the youngster in Fritavatora, who's also going to be there amongst some other names as well. So uh, an interesting kind of two little tournaments there. Obviously, a 500 is a big opportunity for players that didn't make it deep in the slam to kind of start getting some points. And I do think Ostapenko is in a good position to take advantage of that and has been playing some really good tennis and, yeah. and you know, has gotten herself back into the top 10. Honestly, she probably should have been in my power rankings now that I'm thinking about yeah, it. Because, she probably um, should have made mine as well against yeah. uh, Ozarenka. As she, beat, uh, she lost Ozarenka in Brisbane. She lost Ozarenka at the Australian Open. As long as she's not playing Ozarenka, apparently she can beat just about anybody. But Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, I think um, Ostapenko has been a name that maybe – we forget about because she won a major and then she's gone away and been top 30, top 20. But over the last, I think, six months has started to show a good level. You know, she beat Sriantec at the US Open last year. She made a decent run here at the Australian Open. She got a doubles title on the way and a singles title on the way. So, um, you know, she solidified her place inside the top 10. And I do think we'll see a good performance from her. So regrettably, not in my power rankings, but probably will be next week. And then on the ATP side, we've got a 250 in France that has uh, Runa, Chorich, Felix Ogeliasim, Shapovalov, Bublik, and Benoit Paire back in action. Yeah, Paire who beat Marie today, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah so some, some fun little names, little names, big names, in a little <laughs> tournament there in France. And should be should be interesting to see some of these guys, again, playing themselves into form. I think uh, Ogeliasim is facing... Uh, I said his name wrong last week. Kazo. Yeah. Arthur Kazo, yeah. Kazo, yeah, um, in the next round. So that should be an interesting match given that Kazo had a good run at the Australian Open. Yeah. And then we also have some Davis Cup qualifying that's starting to come up, but a couple more 250 tournaments starting the week of February 5th. So we will cover that for you guys on the next pod. Yeah. And a, a few younger names in there too with Felix and Runa and Kazo. Yeah. I mean, Runa is way higher ranked than everybody else in that event. But uh, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see because he lost early to Arthur Kezow in that Australian Open tournament. So uh, yeah. ev everybody saw Yannick Sinner win the Australian Open. They're like, hey, could be my turn next. And they're right. going to be looking to take that spot up. Uh, even mm -hmm. Felix, he's like, you know what? You forgot about me. But listen, I'm still here. I'm going to try to rise up. But especially Alcaraz and, Alcaraz and Runa. <laughs> What's up? Yeah. I said, are you though, Felix? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys joining in for this episode of Tennis 360. I've been Anthony Hirsch. I'm Eliza Westgate. And I appreciate you guys joining in. Don't forget to like the podcast if you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe as well. If you enjoyed it as well, I'll see you guys at the next one.